Hi, I'm Rachel Cassandra. Welcome to Midday Magazine for Tuesday, January 10th. Cloak Police Chief Terry Stone Cipher died unexpectedly Monday morning. He was the only officer at the Cloak Police Department. The city of Cloak announced his death along with a notice that flags would be flying at half staff in the Prince of Wales Island community. KRBD's Reagan Miller reports. Cloak Mayor Don Nickerson says that ever since the city of Cloak announced Terry Stone Cipher's death on social media, he's been getting calls and messages from mourning residents. He was a great chief. Um, he will definitely be missed by this community. He was kind, caring, and very respectful to all community residents. Stone Cipher had held the job since 2005. He also previously worked in Metlakatla's police department. Bruce James, Metlakatla's current police chief, says Stone Cipher was an exceptional public servant. As a supervisor, he's probably one of the best police officers I've ever worked with in my 29-year career. Stone Cipher was a mentor and trained Janes on the job in the 90s. Terry was one of those guys that he had a job to do, but he always treated people with respect. Janes lived next door to Stone Cipher and his family in Metlakatla. Stone Cipher leaves behind his wife, Julia, and two children. My kids played with Terry's kids, you know, growing up and, uh, you know, until they left. Stone Cipher moved to Bethel after four years in Metlakatla and worked with the local police department for more than a decade. Jane says he also worked in probation services before moving back down to Southeast. With Stone Cipher's passing, Nickerson says that there's currently no police officers in Klawak. We do not have any acting chief. We don't even have any officers. Nickerson says Alaska State Troopers will be answering 911 calls for Klawak, and Craig Police Department officers will patrol the town when they are able. The city of Klawak is asking residents to call 911 for emergencies, not the Klawak Police Department phone number. Nickerson did not answer questions about Stone Cipher's cause of death or whether it was regarded as suspicious. Alaska State Troopers are handling the investigation, and Nickerson says his remains will be sent to the state medical examiner's office in Anchorage for an autopsy. Alaska State Troopers and Craig Police Department officers will drive Stone Cipher in a procession to the ferry terminal in Hollis on Tuesday morning. His remains will be in a flag-draped coffin. Members of the public are invited to join the procession or flash their lights in support. Reporting in Ketchikan. I'm Reagan Miller. Alaska legislators have so far pre-filed 68 bills and resolutions ahead of the January 17th session start date. The bills address a wide range of issues from political contribution regulations to electric bikes. One pre-filed resolution proposes to amend an obsolete section of the Alaska Constitution that defines marriage as only existing between quote, one man and one woman, unquote. House Representative Andy Josephson, an Anchorage Democrat, sponsored this resolution. He says it was especially important to him after the U.S. Supreme Court struck down abortion protections last summer. The Supreme Court, for the first time in history, has removed civil rights. And we would be foolish to just watch them do it and not intervene to protect the civil liberties of our own citizens. Josephson has introduced similar legislation in the past in an attempt to recognize gay marriage in the state constitution, but each time it has died without a vote. Kodiak Republican Luis Stutz pre-filed fisheries-related bills to support developing fisheries in the state and cut down commercial vessel registration fees. 
A third proposed bill, which previously never made it out of the House, would allow Board of Fish and Board of Game members with conflicts of interest to participate in discussions provided they don't vote on the matter. Why would you have a board member with an area of expertise and then not let him share his area of expertise with other board members? I mean, it's crazy. More pre-filed bills will be released on Friday. Pre-filed legislation will be formally introduced on the first day that each chamber is organized. Petersburg High School's boys varsity basketball team hosted the Haynes Glacier Bears last week and started their series of conference games for the season. The Vikings won both games against the Glacier Bears. On Wednesday, they won 54-35, and on Thursday, they won 72-53. KFSK's Avery Herman Sakamoto caught up with head coach Rick Brock to discuss the games. So even though the, the margin of victory was the same or close to the same, they really were two different games. Uh, Wednesday, um, Haynes pressed us full court, and we struggled with it getting into our our offense. Um, we still were successful scoring. Just we left. I felt we we had many other times we could have we could have gone on runs of six zero eight zero and weren't successful putting the ball in the basket. So um, the good news is though our defensive end we held them to thirty five, and they've got two two of the better players in the state. Um, and the other guys are, are good and solid. So I was real happy with our defensive end. Offensively, I never felt we really got into a good rhythm. Um, then you flip that around on Thursday, and, and they changed their defensive tactics and tried to speed us up. We were behind in the first quarter, closed the gap, had a good second quarter and a good third quarter, and so we were able to go. We were down, I believe, 8 or 9 to 1, and by eight points or so in the middle of the first quarter also. But then we started to get out in transition. They were pressing us uh, more aggressively, and we were able to break the press and then score easily. Um, baskets that we missed in the first three, four minutes, we, we missed probably four or five layups, makeable baskets, and started to make those. And so that was the difference there. We were able to turn it around. Um, and uh, I was real happy with the second and third quarter. We scored 18 points in the second quarter and 25 in the third quarter. So we were up over 20. Um, struggled in the fourth quarter. At the end, they kind of pressed us a little bit and made the margin closer. But uh, overall, you know, anytime you can uh, win a couple of games in our league, even at home, um, that's a that's a good a good showing. So one of our strengths, I believe, this year is that we can play. We've played games in the 30s. We played games in the 50s and games in the 70s as far as points. So I think we have good flexibility that way. The other part of it is is that we had different players step up for each night. Um, we had, uh, one of the, one of the big things for us is do we have balanced scoring? We had three players in double figures on the first night, and then one with nine in the second game. We also had another three players, um, and those changed. They're not the same guys. Uh, I also was really impressed with the task of guarding. Haynes has got one of the better guards in the state, and Rick Cumps and Karen Cabral both were responsible for guarding him. And then the forward that they have, Eric Gillum, is is a Hunter Con, and Jack Engel had to guard him. And um, you know, all four of them did a great job, but Karen and, and Hunter, they, you know, they they really took on the bulk of that, and was real happy with the way that they made those players work, even though they scored well. Um, they made them earn their points. And then Karen had a lot of ball handling responsibility also. 
especially the second night when they were pressing us. And he actually scored more points, I believe, the first game. Um, yeah, so he was in double figures in the first game. But I don't, I haven't put, been able to stat the game yet. But um, he had many, many assists in transition. He did a really good job of getting us up the court quickly, and then really nice passes to people for easy baskets. That was head coach Rick Brock speaking with KFSK's Avery Herman Sakamoto about the boys' basketball team. Petersburg High School girls' varsity basketball team also hosted Haynes last Wednesday and Thursday to kick off the start of their series of conference games for this season. Haynes won both games. On Wednesday, the Haynes Lady Bears won 58-18 to against the Lady Vikings, they won again Thursday with an 11-point lead of 34 to 23 points. KFSK's Avery Herman Sakamoto spoke with head coach Dino Brock about the games. We played Haynes Wednesday and Thursday because of their travel schedule, and we uh, we started out Wednesday, um, struggled. Haynes is very fast. They full-court pressed us the whole game, and it, it took us a while to get going. Um, to figure out the speed of the game and how they were playing. And the game ended up getting away from us. But we played hard, I thought. I, I liked our attitude, everything else. It just, uh, it was, it was a great learning experience for us because we had to learn to play at that speed, play against teams like that. And, uh, we talked before the Thursday game and came out and totally different game. Um, we, we went back and forth with them. We forced them to get out of their press. Um, just well, we're breaking the press and getting good looks at the basket, um, battling, rebounding, taking care of the basketball. Um, game swung on just a, a couple little plays, like a couple little runs that they made in the course of the game. And um, we ended up going from we lost by 40 the first night and lost by 11 the second night. So it was a great improvement. Um, but just, I thought that we played hard both games. Thought that we definitely improved from the first weekend against Matt Lacatla, but it was really noticeable on Thursday. All of the things that we keep talking about kind of clicked and we took much better care of the basketball. We shot the ball better because of it. And, uh, so it, it was just a great, it was a great turnaround for us and, uh, kind of showed us what we're capable of doing. What does a full court press mean? Uh, they, that means they, they start out as soon as we threw the ball in bounds. They were coming and double teaming us. They were trying to steal the basketball. They didn't wait for us to get down by our basket. So it was just that, like, they just attack you the whole game and go after the basketball. And uh, it's, until you figure out how to play against it, it's, uh, it's tough to play against because it's so aggressive. What was a moment that really stood out to you throughout those two games? I think the biggest thing was our ability to take care of the pressure, to take care of the basketball. We had way less turnovers on Thursday, and uh, because of that, we got more good looks at the basket. I thought that we were way more aggressive offensively Thursday, attacking their press and trying to get good looks out of it. And, and then just really, the, we rebounded well um, both nights. Um, and really, I liked our energy and I liked our attitude. I, those were the big things that we talked about after the game. When are your next games? The JV said to Cloak on Thursday, and we have JV games there. And then the varsity comes over on Friday, and we have JV and varsity games against Craig this weekend. So no rest. It's kind of the way the seasons work around here. 
Is there anything else you wanted to comment on or to highlight? No, just I like I said, you could pick lots of things that lots of players did. Everybody showed improvement through the weekend, and and just uh, it, it was very noticeable that the things that we've been talking about and stuff really started to show on Thursday. That was head coach Dino Brock speaking with KFSK's Avery Herman Sakamoto about the girls' basketball team. The girls and boys' JV and varsity basketball teams will be heading to Craig this weekend for their next conference games. Those games will be broadcast on KFSK. The National Climate Assessment is a chance for researchers across the United States to share local impacts of global climate change with Congress and with the rest of the nation. The fifth edition of the assessment is set to come out in late 2023. Authors of the Alaska chapter are now asking citizens to share what climate change means to them during the assessment's public comment period. KTOO's Anna Canny has more. Just over a year ago, a series of snow and rainstorms in Fairbanks caused power outages, damaged homes, and disrupted emergency services. Alyssa Quintine remembers it as Snowmageddon. I was taking pictures of my house because I have like six feet of ice that had, you know, stocked up and I had a tree that had fallen and frozen on my roof. Quintine is a community organizer for the Alaska Center and a co-author on the upcoming National Climate Assessment. She says that extreme weather in Fairbanks is just one of the climate impacts featured in the assessment's Alaska chapter. So it's like we're trying to represent like the impacts that are happening to residents in real time. Across the state, heavier rains, changing snowfall, warming waters, and ocean acidification are causing profound changes to the environment. Now Alaskans can tell the nation what those changes mean for them. Until January 27th, Quintine and other authors are asking the public to review their draft of the new National Climate Assessment. The climate assessment is mandated by Congress. It pulls together diverse experts to give an update on climate change impacts across different regions of the U.S. It's an opportunity for us regular, regular people to um, essentially tell the story of what is happening in our own state to other states, and to Congress. So it's a pretty big deal. The assessment doesn't mandate any specific action, but Quintine says it will provide direction for lawmakers, researchers, and local organizers as the climate continues to change. The Alaska chapter's lead author, Henry Huntington, with the Ocean Conservancy, says this edition of the report focuses more on humans than ever before. Our charge, our assignment has been uh, altered a bit, which is to focus more on the society side. Now, what does this mean for for people, what does this mean for people around Alaska? Rather than, you know, getting into the details of the, the biophysical system and and so on. In Southeast Alaska, the changing climate has impacted subsistence farming, fisheries, snow and rainfall, and invasive species. But this assessment goes beyond the natural environment to discuss COVID-19, housing discrimination, healthcare, crisis response, and even internet access. Huntington hopes that the assessment will show how the changing environment could make existing social vulnerability and inequity worse. So it's that idea that climate change is happening within the broader social context that's already there and is going to add more stresses to to what we're already experiencing. Quintine hopes that the comments submitted this month will help the climate assessment to be the most useful resource it can be for all who read it. We're doing it for education. We're doing it for awareness, but we're also doing it for empowerment so people can make the best informed decisions moving forward, whether they be someone like me, whether they be the president, whether they be a fisher out, you know, on the Yukon.
Alaskans who wish to review the draft and submit their comment can do so online. All comments are due by January 27th. In Juneau, I'm Anna Canny. And for KFSK, I'm Rachel Cassandra.